right, good morning, everyone. Good Wonderful morning. to see so many of you here this uh, lovely Sunday morning. Uh, just great to be with you all. And so uh, today we're going to be continuing uh, our study in the book of Acts after last week's uh, wonderful six-year anniversary celebration uh, that we had. And so uh, this week we're going to be talk talking about uh, correcting error and confronting enemies from Acts chapter uh, 3, verse 11 through chapter 4, uh, verse 4. So uh, before we get into the text, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you uh, for this day, and we thank you for this text, and we pray that uh, we will learn valuable lessons, Lord, that you would have us learn uh, from your words about how it is that we are saved and, and your grace in saving us, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit would come now. Uh, do your work, Holy Spirit, and uh, anoint these words and have them accomplish the purpose for which you send them. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story, twill be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for none, some have never heard the message of salvation for, from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story. It's a wonderful old Christian hymn written in the 1800s by uh, Kate Hankey and William Fisher. Uh, but to Peter, this hymn was still 1800 years uh, in the future, and yet somehow its message was just as true. Uh, Peter had just told the story in Acts chapter 2 of Jesus and his love and Jesus and his glory uh, when he uh, explained the gift of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And now in chapter 3, a lame man has just been healed and Peter is going to have to tell the story again about Jesus' love and Jesus' glory. And he's going to tell it again in chapter 4. And he's going to tell it again in chapter 5. God gave him opportunity over and over again to tell this story. And each time he did, uh, people got saved. Masses of people got saved. Uh, in our passage today, uh, Peter's audience is a bunch of unbelieving Jews who come to see uh, how this miracle could possibly have happened. And so uh, it's no surprise that Peter is going to use Old Testament scriptures, uh, their Hebrew Bible, uh, to explain to them how these things uh, happened. And when we talked about the miracle of the giving of the Holy Spirit, we, we certainly focused a lot on the power of Jesus' name, uh, the power that is in uh, the identity of Jesus. And we'll do that today, too. Uh, but today we're also going to focus on Peter, uh, and we'll focus on uh, what he had to do to correct the errors of the Jews and then to confront uh, these authorities uh, who came up, these Jewish authorities. And so first, uh, correcting error. That's the first thing we'll see. And, and the first error that Peter had to correct was that he healed this man by his own power. And so we'll read verses uh, 11 through 13a and then 16. Uh, 13b through 15 are a digression, and we'll come back to those in a minute. So verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in a place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So here's a life principle from this particular uh, section of scripture. A faithful servant of Jesus directs all focus away from himself and toward the power of Jesus. A faithful servant of Jesus directs all power away from himself and gives all glory to Jesus. And we see that here. Well, after the miracle that was described in the first 10 verses, here we are in verse 11, and we see that this man is still clinging uh, to Peter and John. And who can blame him, right? Uh, For people to have that kind of power, I wouldn't want to leave their side either. And so this man is still there uh, clinging to him. But the miracle that happened did not escape notice, right? People heard about it and they came rushing from all over the place and and, uh, they finally catch up with Peter and John in this place that is called Solomon's Colony or Solomon's Porch. And this is basically a covered uh, portico or porch that was uh, on one side of the temple. Uh, That's what it looks like there. Uh, This is it on the... On this side, Solomon's porch, and if you were under it, it would look like this. You'd be standing under there uh, to escape the heat uh, of the summers and the uh, cold and the, the elements of the winter. And so these people all come and they catch up with Peter and John uh, and the lame man there in that place. And you can imagine them. Uh, they, they, they're, they're gasping for breath. They're running to hear exactly what happened. Their eyes are as wide as saucers. Their mouths are on the ground as they look at this guy who the text says They know. He was the guy by the side of the road begging alms for 40 years, and now here he is standing with these guys, uh, perfectly healthy. Uh, So you can imagine uh, the the faces that these guys had on waiting for some kind of explanation, and and they seem to be so stunned, they don't even speak. Uh, And so, as usual, uh, Peter is the one who speaks first. He's always the guy who talks first. And and in chapter 2, uh, you remember that, that Peter had, cor- had to correct these guys who said, ah, they must be drunk when they were speaking uh, in tongues by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter says, no, uh, they're not drunk. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that has done this. And now he's got, got to correct another uh, misperception. And that is uh, that he healed these people by his own power. And, and so uh, Peter immediately deflects all credit from himself and he, he gives the glory uh, to Jesus and says these things happen by the power of Jesus. But how? What's the connection between Jesus and the healing of this lame man? Well, here's how Peter explains it to him. He says, first, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, the God of the Jews. In other words, your God, the God who, who we all believe in, that God. Uh, he resurrected Jesus and then he glorified him. And when the Bible talks about glorification of Jesus, what it means is he's returned Jesus uh, to the place that he occupied at God's right hand, a position of of power uh, and prestige. And that's the place that he occupied before he became a man. Now that he's been raised and glorified, he's back in that position again. And so as the risen Christ, as the glorified Christ, uh, there is power. Jesus has the power to heal and also to allow Peter uh, to heal in his name. And so the answer to their astonishment about how this could happen is really quite simple. It's Jesus. Jesus made this miracle possible. Uh, God raised him. God glorified him. And there is power 
in his name. Do we believe that today, church? Do we believe that there is power uh, in this name? Do we believe that we serve a living God who hears our prayers and who is able to intervene in our lives and perform miracles, perform healings, if it is his will? Uh, I pray that we do believe that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So he rewards our faith. And when we go to him in prayer, he, he is able to reward that if we, if we have that faith to believe in him. And, and the power of Jesus is a limitless resource uh, and it's available to all who will believe and call on his name. Well, verse 16 talks about uh, two reasons uh, that, uh, or two things that cause this healing. One, it's Jesus's name. And that is synonymous with Jesus's power. We see those things used interchangeably. Uh, but second, it's the faith that comes through him. But is it Peter's faith or is it the lame man's faith? The lame man's faith is not mentioned at all. Uh, we don't have any mention of the lame man's faith until after he's healed. Then he rises up and, and he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. So it's probably Peter's faith that he's talking about. Uh, and this illustrates an important principle. Uh, you can pray for people who don't have faith uh, to get faith. And you can pray for people who don't have faith and need healing to get healing. Uh, all it takes is for someone to have faith. And here Peter has that kind of faith. And, and if we have faith, and if we will ask, uh, God may do something amazing. So pray for your family members who don't have faith. Pray for your family members uh, who may need healing. Uh, God may choose to do a, an incredible thing uh, through that. Peter corrected their error about who healed Jesus and whose power it, or who healed the lame man and whose power it was uh, who healed the lame man. It was Jesus's power. And Peter gave Jesus all the glory. And then the second error that he had to correct was that these guys all thought that they were right to execute Jesus, to hand him over to be executed. And now Peter is going to show them just how wrong they were. Uh, so let's talk about the error of handing him over to be executed. Uh, verses, the verses that we skipped, 13b to 15. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Ouch, right? Uh, that, that's a beating to, that he lays on these guys uh, with several uh, very strong statements there. And so uh, a life principle from this particular uh, section is that a faithful servant of Jesus is not afraid to speak the truth. Peter's saying things that could get him executed, right? Uh, but he's not afraid. He goes on and, and says what he has to say by the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that Peter gives Pilate a pass here. He doesn't blame Pilate. He puts the blame squarely on these Jews uh, who handed him over. And three times in the Gospel of Luke and here in this section, uh, it says that Pilate had decided to release him. And so Peter focuses on that and blames them. And he convicts them of this sin with these three great contrasts that we see in this little passage. The first one is in verse uh, 13. And uh, it talks about, you advance the slide one? Uh, verse 13 says, you handed him over to be killed, even though Pilate had decided to release him. And so that's a very strong uh, conviction. 
Uh, and then the second contrast is in verse 14, where he says, you disown the holy and righteous one. That's another term for the Messiah. And you ask for a murderer to be released for you uh, in his place. And, and again, uh, that's the term for the Messiah. They wanted a murderer in his place. And, and finally, the third and most convicting contrast is this last one. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead, and, and God raising him from the dead is, is God's seal of approval on Jesus, saying, this is my Messiah, and yet uh, you killed him anyway. And so uh, in, in a twist of irony, uh, Peter delivered this speech uh, from Solomon's portico. Uh, it was so interesting uh, this morning that, that we were in Sunday school, and, and Rick was teaching about John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, uh, Solomon's portico is where Jesus was teaching from. And Jesus said that he was the giver of life uh, in that section. Uh, he said there, the Jews were gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do, I do in my father's name. These testify of me, but you do not believe me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. So from the very same place that Jesus says, I am the giver of life, Peter says, this was the author of life, and you killed him. Wow. I mean, can you imagine what these guys must have been thinking as they were, as they were thinking about these contrasts? Uh, Peter's goal, he certainly wanted to convict them of their sin, and I think he did a pretty good job of that. He came at them pretty hard uh, with these words. Uh, he was not afraid to speak the truth, but he spoke the truth in love. It was tough love, that's for sure, uh, but he spoke the truth in love, uh, and the point of that was to convict them of their sins so that they could understand that salvation is by grace. And so he crushed them with their guilt, but then he offered them hope. Uh, so let's move on and read verses 17 through 20. Uh, and, and the error that he's correcting here is that Jesus was not the fulfillment of the prophets. You know, the, these Jews are still waiting for their Messiah to come. And, and, and Peter's saying that was the Messiah who the prophets predicted and you missed him. Uh, he is the fulfillment of the prophets. So let's read these verses. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who he has appointed for you, even Jesus. Well, what an incredible olive branch that Peter extends to these guys here, right? Even though he strongly accuses them of wrongly executing the Messiah, and about the strongest words you can possibly use, he's actually softer on them here than he was in chapter 2, because what he says here is that, uh, I concede that you guys didn't understand what you were doing and you didn't know that God had a plan and that, and that this is the plan that God had, had planned and, and that the prophets foretold of all along. You didn't understand that. Uh, and beyond that, your leaders didn't understand that either. And so he's, he's giving them a bit of a pass. And, and that's really important because uh, Numbers uh, talks about uh, what happens to the, to the person who sins unintentionally versus the person uh, who sins intentionally. So Numbers 15, 27, and 28. Uh, also, if one person sins unintentionally, then he shall offer a one-year-old female goat for a sin offering. 
The priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who goes astray when he sins unintentionally, making atonement for him that he may be forgiven. And so you see, there's a way out for the person who sins unintentionally. Uh, but uh, there is also a person who sins intentionally. And we'll see that in 1530, uh, which says, the person who does anything defiantly, whether he is a native or an alien, that one is blaspheming the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among his people. And being cut off can mean excommunication. It can mean death. It certainly means that there is no means of salvation. So there is a strong contrast between the one who sins unintentionally and the one who sins intentionally. And, and Peter's putting these people in the class of people who sin unintentionally to show them that there is grace available to them. And for, for these people, or for, for the people uh, that Numbers was writing about, the way was animal sacrifice. And that's how you get right with God back in the Old Testament is by animal sacrifice. But uh, what happens is the people are still guilty of sin but yet there's a way out for them. Forgiveness was available by that animal sacrifice. But when you come to the New Testament, after Jesus, the way you get right with Jesus is no longer by animal sacrifice. It's by believing, it's by repenting and placing your faith in Jesus. And repentance simply means turning away from something and turning to something else. And in the case of salvation, we repent from turning away from our disbelief in Jesus to turning to belief in Jesus and changing your mind about who Jesus is. And, and believing means we trust in, in him and we don't trust in ourselves for our salvation if we want to escape judgment. You've heard that people think that they can get into heaven by doing good deeds, right? Uh, and, and you've heard that people think out there that you can get into heaven by being a good person. A lot of people think that. Uh, the Bible says that there are no good people, that, that God's standard of good is a perfect, sinless life. And there's no one alive who has ever met that standard. And so uh, anyone, depending on doing good works or that their good works outweigh their bad works to get into heaven, is going to be very disappointed when they meet Jesus face to face and find that, that Jesus is the only way, not your good works. And so uh, if you're here today and you still have not placed your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, I would urge you to do that today. I would urge you to do that today. All you have to do is to believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead and you have salvation. Well, if these Jews repented, Peter promised that, uh, that times of refreshing would come upon them. And times of refreshing simply mean God's blessing. And, and if you repent and you believe, uh, you could receive those times of refreshing, this time of blessing right now. But there's also a future component to this too, because he's going to speak of, of the time when, when God restores all things. And so there's a time of future blessing, a time of future refreshing uh, that's coming as well. And, and that's why it's so important that these folks repented. And so Peter offers them God's grace, and then he's going to turn to their Hebrew scriptures again to prove that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And that's why they should repent. And you'll remember that he did that back in Acts chapter 2 when he referenced Joel and, and, and a couple of Psalms. Uh, here, uh, he's going to say this uh, in verses 21 through 26. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago, through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. 
You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So Peter starts by telling them that Jesus is going to remain in heaven until the appointed time, the time when God decides it's time to restore everything. But remember in verse 18, uh, God, uh, Peter talked about God fulfilling uh, all these things through the prophets. And, and now he's going to name these prophets uh, by name. And he, he calls out the big dogs of, of, uh, of the prophecy, right? He calls on Abraham. He calls, calls on Moses and Samuel. Uh, those are the big guys. And, and so first Moses. Uh, in Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses said uh, that God is going to raise up a prophet uh, like himself. And Moses said that anyone... Uh, who encountered him uh, must listen to him or he would be cut off, which again means utterly destroyed, uh, unable to be uh, saved or to have salvation. And this really put them in a difficult spot because these Jews believed Moses, they identified with Moses, but Moses predicted Jesus. And now Peter has proven that Jesus is this promised Messiah. And so if they believed Moses, they should have believed Jesus and trusted in Jesus but rather than recognizing him as their Messiah, they killed him. And that alone should have been enough to have them quaking in their sandals. But, but Peter's not done. He moves on to talk about Samuel and all the prophets uh, who also uh, prophesied these things. And Samuel was considered the next major prophet after Moses. So what we have here is a string of prophets that run all the way from Moses to Malachi, who predicted that these things would come. And, and these these people believed in the prophets, and yet they missed Jesus, and they all foretold those days. And then finally, uh, Peter turns to Abraham. He says, look, you guys are heirs of the prophets, and you're heirs of this covenant that God made through Abraham. And as heirs, these blessings are available to you too. God's blessing is available to them if they would repent. And, and Peter reminded them that that. God wanted to bless the nations, but first he wanted to bless Abraham. And then through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. And that's why God sent the resurrected Messiah to the Jews first. He sent them back to the Jews first so that they could receive the blessing and then that the blessing would expand uh, from there. And for these Jews, even though Jesus had died and Jesus was buried because he rose again and because he was glorified and he sits at the right hand of the Father, the same power that healed that lame man is available to bless these guys even now, even though they had offered him up to be crucified. It was not too late for them to repent and believe. Well, imagine these Jews as they're hearing all this and they're thinking and they're looking at this lame man who's jumping around praising God. And they're hearing these words of, of uh, Peter's uh, convicting them and cutting them to the core. Uh, and, and while they're thinking about these things and processing all these things, uh, they're interrupted by these Jewish authorities who come up. Uh, and, and these Jewish authorities are going to confront uh, Peter and, uh, and John and the lame man. And so we're going to see now that Peter has to confront uh, his enemies. 
uh, and confronting the enemies, in confronting the enemies, we're going to see that the gospel message was met with hostility. So let's read verses one through three. Uh, as the priests and the, or the, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. And so here we come to the point of Acts where, where their message is going to start to face opposition. Uh, and a life principle here is that uh, a faithful servant of Jesus makes converts in the face of opposition. A faithful servant of Jesus makes converts in the face of opposition. Up to this point, uh, the people had been generally accepting of their message and, and believers were, were, were being made uh, left and right, but the Jewish authorities were not quite so accommodating. Uh, Jesus promised in Matthew 10, 17 uh, and... Uh, I'm sorry, 10, yeah, 17 to 18. He said, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to the Gentiles. Uh, and that's what's about to happen here. They're, they're, they're going to start this, this uh, pattern in Acts where they're being brought to the authorities and, and facing uh, difficulty with the authorities. Well, who are these authorities? Uh, first were the priests. Uh, these were the guys descended from Aaron, and they, they held very high ranking and esteem in Jewish society. And then you have to have muscle, so they bring the captain of the temple guard with them, and he's the chief of the police, and so he's got an army behind him. And then you have the Sadducees. Uh, they're the wealthy, the, the aristocratic class. Uh, they're, they're, uh, they controlled the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin, and they didn't like chaos in public places because that would upset their status quo with the Romans. They didn't want to upset the Romans. And so that was where they wanted to be in terms of their political place. But theologically, they also had a problem with Peter's message because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And that's why they are sad, you see. <laughs> because they have no hope, because there is no resurrection. So the said, did I hear a boo? That was, that was mean. <laughs> Well, there could be chaos in the streets because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees, who were the other prominent group, did. And so you could have fighting in the streets about whether there is a resurrection or not a resurrection. And we see Paul take advantage of this later in Acts. He gets Pharisees and Sadducees in a room together, and he notices that he's created a stir with this talk of the resurrection. And so he uses that to his advantage. And so you can see that there is an opportunity for there to be chaos in the streets. And they did not want to bring the Romans. And so they seized Peter and John, and they threw him in jail. And because it was late... Uh, they had to be in jail overnight. They couldn't get a magistrate to hear their case. And, you know, any of you guys out there who have uh, been arrested late in the day, you know that you have to wait until morning uh, to see the judge. And so uh, that was the case for Peter and John. And so we'll see that even though there was hostility, uh, the gospel message spread in the face of hostility. So we'll look at verses, uh, verse 4-4. Four, four. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men grew to about 5,000. So there's a lot of commotion going on, right? The, the temple authorities come up and they're, they're giving Peter and John a hard time. And, and meanwhile, you have a whole bunch of people there and they're thinking and they're processing what Peter said and they're watching this commotion that's gone on. 
Uh, and they're making decisions to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, and their message was believed, and another 2,000 people now believed in the Lord's message. And now 5,000 people uh, are their number. And they were going to have to have problems like we're going to have here. With uh, We're going to have to have a second service, and we're going to have to deal with parking issues, and we're going to have to deal with child care issues. How are we going to handle this? Because that's the problems that a growing church faces. And, and now that they were 5,000, uh, this was going to be a really big ministry, and, and the church was going to keep multiplying and expanding. Well, one of the sub-themes of Acts uh, is the multiplication and the growth of the church in spite of opposition. And, and we're going to see that theme throughout the rest of Acts now as we go. We'll see it in almost every chapter. Uh, the authorities threw John and Peter in prison, but that did nothing to stem the tide uh, of, the, of the word spreading. If you've ever seen a volcano erupting, you see it flying out of the volcano and then it starts to slowly pour down the mountain and there is nothing Nothing that can stop that volcano and that lava from flowing down the mountain. And the word of God is just the same. They could put Peter and John in chains, but the word of God was not in chains. And they could kill these apostles, and they started to do that starting in chapter 7. But the word of God cannot be killed. Uh, next week, we'll see what happens uh, to Peter and John in their trial. But for now, uh, what are some applications that we can draw out from this uh, passage. The first one is that God's grace is greater than we can imagine. Isn't it hard to believe uh, that God gives repeated chances to these very Jews who handed Jesus over to repent and believe? Uh, if that's the kind of gra uh, grace that God is, uh, how much more grace does he give to us who believe in his son uh, for our salvation and have trusted him as our savior? Believers will never, ever ever be rejected or be condemned by Jesus. Do you have past sin in your life that haunts you? Do you have sin in your life that, that, you've, that you've had in your past that, that you are so convicted of, that you still feel so guilty about, that you can't forgive yourself over? Uh, sometimes you wake up and you, you just forget that, that that sin has been forgiven already, and we just have a hard time, uh, so much so that we can't even forgive ourselves. And we need to know that, that if, if we're believers, Jesus died to cover that sin. It's under the blood, as they say. Uh, if God has forgiven you and yet you can't forgive yourself, well, that's kind of an insult to God, don't you think? If God has said, I forgive you, and yet you can't forgive yourself, you're, you're kind of living in rebellion uh, against God and, and making decisions as to, as to what God can forgive and what God can't forgive. Uh, when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, he said, it's finished. He said, it's paid in full. So who are you not to forgive yourself when God has already forgiven you? Romans 8.1 says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So forget that past sin. Let it go. It's been paid for. Uh, don't let regret and guilt over past sins hinder your life now. Uh, there is grace for that. Look forward, not backward. Regret and guilt are tools that Satan uses to hold us down, to, to live under the yoke uh, of that kind of guilt. And so don't let him do that. When, when Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. The lake of fire awaits Satan, but glory awaits us. And so revel in God's grace. God's grace is greater than we can imagine. Second, sin has to be part of the gospel presentation. 
You know, it is good news that Jesus died and rose from the dead. But if we leave out the part about why he died and why he rose from the dead, then we have not presented the gospel. Uh, unless people understand uh, that, that, that Jesus bought something, that he bought their souls when he hung on the cross, uh, that they don't have anything to repent of. We need to give people something to believe. We need to give them something to repent of so that they can repent. They need to know that they have, have, have sinned by rejecting Jesus as their savior and then by living a life of rebellion against him. They need to know that people died on the cross to purchase their salvation and their forgiveness. You may know that this is not popular preaching these days, right? People don't want to hear this message. People want to make their own truth. They want to say, this is my truth. That's your truth. Don't impose your truth on me. Uh, but we can't cave into that. We have to know uh, that, that there is a standard, and we have to tell people that, that there is a standard. It is God's standard. But if we dare try to suggest that God has a standard uh, that we need to, li to live up to, in this day and age, we're going to be accused of being bigots, of being intolerant, of being bullies, or even worse. But we can't cave into pressure like that. The gospel is what it is. Christ died for our sins, and he rose from the dead. And so that's the good news. God does have standards. We can't reach them, but God made a way. God has to punish sin, but instead of punishing us, Jesus took our punishment for us. And when we believe in him, when we trust in him for our own salvation, we don't have to worry about being punished for sin anymore. Jesus already has paid that bill in full. So when you're presenting the gospel, don't gloss over sin. It's an essential part of the gospel message. Peter confronted these guys with their sin, and that's what caused them to repent. It doesn't mean anything without the need to repent of sin. And so Peter confronted them with their sin, and as hard as that is for us, we have to do the same. And finally, expect spiritual and physical opposition to God's work. When these authorities showed up, to oppose Peter's message. Their opposition was not subtle, right? They showed up with the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees and the priests. That's a whole mess of people in very high authority coming with weapons to stop this message from being proclaimed. And this physical opposition that they faced was no doubt caused by spiritual opposition. Certainly Satan is behind this. Uh, so you'll face physical opposition, but sometimes spiritual opposition can be a whole lot more subtle. Sometimes it's directly in our own ears without the need to bring the captain of the temple guard to oppose us, right? Uh, there are times when I'm sure, not, not you folks, but some people don't feel like coming to church on Sunday uh, and they don't feel like reading their Bible sometimes or coming to a Bible study or a prayer meeting. Uh, sometimes that happens and that's because Satan whispers in our ear sometimes and he discourages us sometimes and and he's powerful enough to whisper in our ears and, and discourage us from doing the things that would bring us closer to God. Well, how do we re respond when we face that kind of spiritual opposition? James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how? What does that mean? How do we do that? Well, when you feel the devil speaking in your ear, you can say, Jesus, you can say that name out loud. You can say, get behind me, Satan, like Jesus did to Peter. Uh, you can do these things and, and the, the devil will have to flee. Uh, Ephesians 6 says we're to put on the full armor of God so that we are able to resist Satan's schemes. That means reading your Bible. That means praying. That means coming to church. Uh, these are the things that, that God gives us so we can withstand his schemes. And from this point forward in the book of Acts, 
Satan's going to be all over this, although his name won't be mentioned, but the spiritual opposition that results in physical opposition is coming throughout the rest of the book. And he tried to interfere with everything that Peter and the apostles did. And he'll do the same to us. And we need to be prepared for that. So don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. Resist the devil. uh, Put on the full armor of God. Stand firm. I hope that these applications give us some encouragement as today is Sunday and it's easy to be joyful among fellow believers on Sunday, but it's hard to go back out into the world on Monday where we're going to face opposition. I hope that if we're able to keep these things in mind, we'll be better prepared to face all the error of the world and the confrontation with the world that awaits us on Monday. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. We thank you that even though the word is opposed, yet the word spreads anyway. Lord, your word is incredible and it cannot be resisted. And and even though uh, people have been trying to stop it for 2,000 years, uh, your kingdom continues to grow, Lord. And we pray that we would be instruments uh, to see your kingdom grow, Lord. We ask that you would use us. We ask that you would uh, give us specific opportunities where we could bring people into your kingdom uh, in this community and as far as you would send us, Lord. You're a great and gracious God. You can do greater things that we can ask or imagine. And Lord, we look forward to see what you have for us as we try to be your faithful servants. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.